Hi. Good evening and good morning. We're sort of assembled. Ron may or may not be waylaid by a hurricane or other inclement weather. We'll see what happens. But thank you everyone for coming to the whole back rack. We're getting the horsemen back together. Woo! Peter is the most excited super fan of all time. I don't know if Oh, Ron yeah. says he's trying to jump on. It's coming. Um, oh, apparently Ron is on a date with a famous singer, actress, slash businesswoman. Not a hurricane. <laughs> That's an old J-Lo joke that Peter's <laughs> been telling for... <laughs> Four years? Three? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Lindsay's excited. Lindsay says uh, she's obsessed with uh, Robert Barclaw. Oh. That's nice, that's high praise. Hi, Lindsay. <laughs> Andrew's here, Emma's here, and Benevolent. Adam says, I remember watching Horsemen years ago and there'd be a topic and they'd cut to each other and what's cool to see people outside of North America did. Yeah. So that's you excluded, uh, Shane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I was just honestly, when people say, hey, will you cover this blah, blah, blah topic about genetics? I say, no, you need to go check Rob Bearclaw's channel because he's already done it and he does it way better than I could ever do it. Hey, Ron, my man, I can see you. I am so sorry that I jumped in too late. I'm, can you guys hear me, first of all? Yes. yes. Okay. I've been having issues. Believe it or not, I had, I had everything. I have my DSLR. I got my microphone, I got my computer and everything, but I couldn't find the cable that connects my camera to the computer so I actually use this. So I was fighting all over because I just recently moved and I still have a lot of things in boxes. And um, I was going frustrated trying to find that cable. And I said, you know what? I'm just gonna have to log in with my cell phone. And I know the quality is not gonna be as great as I really wanted because I mean, like this is like the Four Horsemen reunion, you mm -hmm. know? And it meant that much to me that I wanted to make sure that I give the best quality that I can because I want to represent what, you know, what we've done, you know, in all this time that we've been together participating. That's all right. Just being here, I think, is good. Peter's like the most excited. He's taking pot shots at you. <laughs> <laughs> I warned so. Peter about that. I, I warned Peter. I told him, Peter, calm down. I mean, like, you know, there's some <laughs> issues going on over there. Uh, but, Billy's um, here. Hey, Billy, Billy, Billy yeah. how are you? <laughs> so, uh, all right. All right, let's talk about it. There are young, gentle souls that, that don't even know what the, the four horsemen were or are. They just heard rumors, you know, in the mist. Is, and anybody wants to start, like, just explain what it was and, you know, like, what, what your role in it was. Let's let Rob do it because this is Rob's very first live or podcast. So yeah. let's, let's, let's let him let's let him kick it off. <laughs> okay. Well, I guess I was one of the early subscribers to uh, Richard's channel, and um, I, I enjoyed his content because it was um, it, it it was aimed at beginners, and he was talking about his journey in the ball python world and i was instantly attracted to that and 
it didn't take Richard very long after a few comments uh, that I made on his videos to actually contact me privately. And we never looked back from there. So I, 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 I can't remember exactly when I did my first collab with him. I already knew Ron at the time because I'd contacted him about keeping snakes without heat mats in the tropics. And he was the only person that I could find. And I remember Ron responded. And, and so I already knew Ron. So Ron jumped on board. And then um, we needed somebody from North America. So Shane, you were it. <laughs> I was the last addition. I'm, I officially made it the four. Because <laughs> I, I think they were the three amigos for a minute before me. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't remember that part. But like by the time I started watching it, there was the four four but who who did rich commission and rich was predator bp if people want to know like yeah. that don't know his his business name who commissioned the art i'm assuming it was rich yeah it was, it was actually rich yeah yeah because it's cool show it off shane and then and so what you did was you did like clips of, you know, husbandry advice or morph tips, but you would switch from person to person and you would be like, and now we're going to talk to Rob about the genetics or Ron about, you know, humidity or, or whatever, like it would switch. And so it was like edited together, almost like a talk show or something. So it was actually like a good idea for like a engaging way to give information but not have one person be droning on for 40 minutes like me and then they run away <laughs> you know the the thing with the thing with the four horsemen is um we privately um we had our own group chats as a matter of fact going back to what rob was mentioning um before we did the collaborations um we each had our own youtube channels and i had a separate youtube channel than the channel i have right now and through that me and richard at that time, we had the same intro music. And that was the first introduction that me and Richard actually got from each other because of the intro music. Someone actually reached out to me and said, listen, you're copying Predator, Predator's BP's music. Um, you should actually do your own. And I actually showed when I started my channel, which was actually before Richard, and Richard actually reached out to me because that same person reached out to Richard. And um, I basically chalked it off that we just had both unique tastes that actually combined and met up with each other um, just off the music, and we just displayed it we could um, with uh, with the ball pythons. Fast forward that introduction that me and Richard had, me and Rob were in communication, and then from there we got in Shane, and we had a private chat within Facebook, um, and I still have all the messages. I, I still share it because it it means so much to me because it was a buildup of what the four horsemen actually was and from that we richard came up with the idea listen let's do a collab and have each one jump in and chime in because we each had something to offer because we're we're actually ball python breeders in four different parts of of the world robin malaysia um rich in united kingdom shane in bakersfield and obviously i was here in puerto rico and our setups were not the same and that actually was opening the doors to a lot of people that can actually um, connect with us because we were given different perspectives. A better, instead of a set one, a single breed or a YouTuber would actually present on YouTube. Mm -hmm. So it gave them a, a bigger um, possibilities of how they can actually work 
their collections, their husbandries, their projects or whatever within the topics. And we each had a, a different view, but it never actually overstepped the other person's um, opinions or take on it. It just basically complemented each one's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was good. And I, I don't think it's been replicated since. Not really. Like people collab and be guests, but nobody's done that sense so one of a kind real <laughs> that's why people remember it so fondly because it was so um useful right uh macabarfs asked the relevant question why are there only three of the four horsemen well uh so all right i'll, I'll give my side of it uh richard got out Richard kind of made a transition mm-hmm. into Boas towards the end and, and changed his name to Constrictor Kai and then just got all the way out and uh, deleted all the social media. So that's why you only see three of the four. Mm-hmm. Was he still doing Four Horsemen videos while he was Constrictor Kai or did, had it stopped at that point? No, he stopped. He stopped. The name change, I think, was an effort to stay in but with a little bit of anonymity and that didn't work so shortly after that he he took everything off so yes the name change was the beginning of the end really yeah yeah there wasn't any animosity between any of us four if anyone was actually speculating yeah there wasn't there wasn't that i mean like i i have to say i wholeheartedly have to say that each um each individual within the the group the four horsemen was a a combination of basically a brotherhood and we never had any stiff moments between each other exchange even privately so it wasn't because of that a reason that um he dropped out of his channels um he only knows his reasons and none of us actually know why i i at least on my side i never got any follow-up of why um he deleted most of the contents um it's really sad that's because basically it's like uh it's it was good you know storytelling that we had you know, mm-hmm. and to just erase that from everything, it's it's a uh, it's a disadvantage for you know not even for us, but I think a lot of people enjoy the the upbringing of what you know what it was. But um, I mean, like each one, each one has certain situations that they go through that that we can't explain, but we just have to just support it and you know just mm-hmm. just go on from there. Peter thinks it was his fault, so yeah. yes, Peter, it probably was. <laughs> yeah, it was. <laughs> Now, fun fact, though, Richard's channel, like when he dropped off, he was the biggest ball python channel in, in the UK, like mm-hmm. most subscribers, most views. And yeah, there was a point there where I swear he was doing a video a day, which yeah. I can barely do a video a week. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> so like he did a lot of work and I, I and it was good and he was a good speaker and he was earnest and i think people resonated with that because that's all it really takes is like an earnest attempt to mm. learn and grow and share um so it is sad but that's that's what it was everybody now you know right yeah. now you know because it was what was it deleted two years ago a year and a half ago which seems longer than that Think well, I'll tell you when. So about the time Cobra Kai came out, because then that's when he changed his name to Constrictor Kai. <laughs> and then that was like Rob said, that was the beginning of the end. 
Yeah, and if, if anything, some... Peter, it wasn't your fault. It was actually Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then if if anybody wants to see Rich anywhere on the internet, he is still on an interview with R&B Reptiles on their channel. Uh, so if you just like want to see his personality or whatever, that is still up because it's on their channel, yeah. basically. I want to add something though too. So like when we were doing that too, we didn't, looking back, it was whatever, but it was like a time like right before COVID and COVID hit that, that like there was a big rise in, in YouTube and ball pythons and all that stuff like right at that time. So there was a little bit of luck on our part too. You know, it was just, uh, in fact, like I remember when, when uh, uh, all the pandemic stuff hit, like, I committed to doing two videos a week on my own channel and then on top of the four horsemen and stuff too. So it was just a, it was just a, a, a good time to be doing all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Everyone was at home watching YouTube. <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, a lot of channels still exist, but their viewership is just down because people are just busier now because it's not the pandemic anymore. And so some people are like, we'll get demoralized by that, but they shouldn't because that's just like the waxing and waning of YouTube culture, which doesn't really have to do necessarily with your hobby. Uh, and then like chat, if you have any questions or whatever, we'll, we'll take it. We're just here to chat and having fun. Was there like a favorite episode that you had for any of you that you were like the most you know, proud of? I, I got to say, um, it's hard to pick out of anything, but um, I got to say, in all honesty, I have to say it was a Christmas special because we had so much fun before that. And I mean, like, Rich was like, put on the craziest thing that you could think of and then, you know, send me a clip and I'll just edit it. And Rob just came up with this incredible pointy, pointy uh, Santa's elf hat. And we were all like, how can you get that standing so erect? <laughs> you know? And it was, it was just insane. hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I remember that. All right, I, Rob. I, so you I, have that video yeah. copy, though. So you could release your version I, of the Christmas. I, I can maybe go back and try and dig that one up and see if I still have Please. that. Please. I've just figured out how to um, get the comments up here on the side of the, <laughs> that's how good I am at this. Um, so I see lots of people are actually saying personal hello. So everybody that said hello, say I'm saying hello back. Yeah, well, I'll highlight some. Odd Scott says, well, I appreciate you guys for your contribution. Thank you. Um, 403 says, really, uh-oh. Well, I appreciate you guys for your contribution. Thank you. Uh, maybe Ron will come back soon he fell off uh it, mark says really enjoyed the four horsemen and all the youtube videos during the pandemic and then peter asked ron a question and it's not here so we'll get to that in a second i'm assuming his phone died or the hurricane got him i, I know the answer to that question though but i'll let i'll save it for ron <laughs> <laughs> all right shane or rob did you have like a favorite episode besides the christmas one I enjoyed them all. Um, Richard used to challenge me tremendously. He would he would come up with a topic and, and say, I need you to put the science to this. And that, then I'd have to go away and try and cook something up. Yeah. 
you all know, right, back. yeah, I, I wanted to see what the comments was all about, but I'm on a cell phone when I hit that, it just kicked me out. You don't forget it. If anything, just tell me what happens with the comments. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I'll like try to highlight, uh, some of them. We were still, uh, Peter asked what your racks were, what brand? What racks? What brand of your racks did BBM just buy? Oh gosh. Um, wow. Um, I, I mean, like, it's it's nothing more than, than what you have in the stateside. I mean, like, for me personally, it's a big, big accomplishment um, because it it actually goes back to where I believe um, the ballpark product on market is. Um, and I just got ARS racks. And um, the reason why it's a big deal is because it's not easily shipped here to Puerto Rico. And as a matter of fact, I only know of one person that actually opened the door and connected with ARS to actually be the, the breakthrough to actually ship to Puerto Rico. And um, because of this person actually acquired this for the first time, he opened the door for potential clients to actually purchase. And they have a history of making shipments here to Puerto Rico. So um, I guess after COVID and a lot of situations after that, I had a, a very unfortunate situation that that actually changed the path of my life. And because of that, um, I, I, um, I struggled actually just to continue doing this. And um, now that I'm in a new place, I actually bought a new home and I moved. Um, one of the things that I wanted to do was actually change everything and, and start up with, with something different. And, and the investment was the ARS racks. And I actually, I got three different um, versions of them. And um, someone actually came to pick up my old racks. I, I, if you see in our old videos, you would see the type of racks that I have were basically um, wood or PVCs. And um, when that person picked up the rack, he asked me that same question, where do I see the ballpark on market actually going? And I just pointed to my new racks that I actually invested in. And that actually answers that question. I'm not too concerned about the ballpark on market because it's what I make it to be. And, um, mm -hmm. If anything, the hobby, the, the the collections that I work with, anything, and the continuation of it is a passion for it. And I make, I make, or basically, I feel that I actually contribute to the market. I don't pretend to um, worry about what other people are saying or influence me or whatever and stuff like that to veer me off what I'm actually working with. So to answer Peter's question, I mean, like, and I know I went the long road with it, but it was an ARS. He says it's amazing. So, congrats. Can you read it? Oh yeah, cell phone. But I'm sorry, I could read. I it. think I think Peter's trying to kiss ARS <laughs> to get him shipped to Russia now. Yeah. <laughs> but let me tell you something. It's funny because Russia, unfortunately, because of what's 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 happening with the political situations, they don't have certain social media contact. For example, they don't have TikTok. They don't have Instagram. They don't have Facebook. The only contacts they have is with um, YouTube. And what's up? And Peter actually contacts me so many times with what's up. And because I can't, most of the, the, the things that I upload on Instagram or TikTok, um, he doesn't see it. So I actually send him a video of my setup on what's up. And he actually sent me a video of his setup. And I was impressed. I mean, like, with everything that they're going through. And this is the point that, that I, I, I want to emphasize. When people talk about the market and everything's going on and stuff like that, there is a war going on where he's at and they're having expos 
and he's investing in snakes and he's investing in racks and and everything, even with what's going on. So mm-hmm. it actually shows that basically this actually it, it it's going to be long. It's going to be around for a long time. And I don't want to keep testing fate with what's going on in different parts of the world. But we still got a few, I'd say, a few years with this. Uh, Rob or Shane, do you want to talk about the future or markets or your sentiment where you are? Well, I, I just yeah. say uh, I'm just keeping my head down and uh, traveling on one step at a time. I mean, that's I, I, I agree and I don't agree with like you got to like what you're looking at. And like this is the point where you got to like what you're looking at in your racks because stuff's not flying off the shelf in my area. So. I got to enjoy what I'm looking at and just stay on my projects and just keep moving forward. I would not, I, me personally, I'm not going to like take a year off and not breed snakes because that's just going to put you back, you know, in your project. Mm-hmm. You got to keep making your steps forward. So, Rob, that's my input on it. Yeah, I'm with, I'm with Ron. I've never really thought about the market or any other influence other than the fact that I love snakes. I love doing what I, what I do. And, and that's it. That's the bottom line. What What is the, did the Malaysian market get COVID spiked or was it pretty much slow and steady or was. Oh, we had a, we had a total shutdown here. Curfew. You weren't allowed to go out for several, several weeks. Um, hospitals were in bad shape. Uh, they were, they were filling up and yeah, we, we, we did get uh, quite a lot of, fatalities uh from me personally being a grumpy old git it suited me just great because i just sat at home and made videos played with my snakes <laughs> it was awesome was there like more interest like in the u.s in ball pythons in malaysia like because of that because people were stuck at home or was it did it not respond the same way like in your like local market the local markets has never been a large market. I, I look at the, the market here as being Southeast Asia. So that would include uh, Indonesia, Philippines, Korea, um, Hong Kong, all, all of those type of places. Australia's out because they don't allow anything in mm-hmm. or anything out. Their, their licensing and permits are very, very strict. So our, our market has never been large as a country, but Southeast Asia as a region is very big. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. And you're mostly selling like within the region, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's very cool. How's Puerto Rico market doing right now? That's, that's, um, that's something that I wanted to actually mention because, um, something that I've always said in a lot of my videos when we do the collaboration is that in Puerto Rico, I consider it, it's a virgin territory because it's a small, territory. It's a small island. It's not really that large. It's 100 by 35. Um, and um, because it's a small area, um, the market or the demand is not as much. But I'm still moving snakes. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the demand is no different than it is in Malaysia or in the United States where snakes are not fly- flying off. But I'm still moving snakes. And the reason why is that I feel that um, that I can move and I can actually continue doing what I'm doing is 
the breeding. It's all about the breeding. And when I say about this is you have to breed something that you like, that you don't mind if it's sitting in your rack for a year or two years. Eventually mm -hmm. it will move because these are basically, you're breeding holdbacks. And if you're breeding holdbacks, um, you're creating a passion for what you're working with so much that it's like basically driving down a, a freeway and you see a, a billboard for a McDonald's for a McFlurry. And as you keep driving and you keep seeing that same billboard as you go down, one of the exits, the first McDonald's you're going to see, you're going to stop off and you're going to buy a McFlurry because you see it so many times. And it goes back to basically my holdbacks. I'm so proud of the things that I work with because I, I dream of what I want to um, work with. And I post it so many times. Because of that, I'm doing that billboard effect with the McFlurry. I'm doing the exact same thing. I'm posting all of my holdbacks. And eventually, someone's going to reach out to me and say, listen, I like what you post. It's real beautiful. Do you ship? And by chance, yes, I do ship. Um, and Or locally here, someone actually asked for it. And I can actually move on to it. And that that actually helps me work with the demand because I'm not actually trying to run like a puppy mill. I'm not overworking myself with a lot of things and then having so many byproducts that I get frustrated because I'm not moving them. And then I start blaming the market. Mm -hmm. You know, so basically to beat that, I make sure that whatever that I'm working with is something that I want to work through personally. And then, you know, if it moves it, it moves it. Doesn't it just works my future projects that I want to work more ahead along the line? Did Morph Market ever fix the Puerto Rico not being part of the U.S. problem? Oh, we, we did it. It only took them they three did. years. Perfect. They did. I mean, I, I can't I can't remember. There was I had one person that was very, very vocal backing me up. Unfortunately, no one here locally was doing it. And that kind of got upset. But actually, someone in the in the States actually saw what I was what I was talking about. And they saw that it, you know, it was neglect that it wasn't actually addressed. But thankfully, it's been fixed. And a lot of people here locally that use more market, now they can actually show their, their listings equally like everyone else. So, you know, it's, it's, thankfully, it's, it's been addressed and it's been fixed. Well, I, I, well, I know it's good for you guys, but it looked good on my morph market when it, when it said, like, I export to, you know, like I'm, like I'm an international guy. And I'm like, I, yeah. I, I shipped to Puerto Rico. It's not a big deal, you know, but I'm yeah, exporting I, to Puerto Rico, you know. <laughs> and a lot of people worried thinking that we need CITES down here, you know, so it yeah. made it a little bit more, you know, it, it, it actually hurt us a lot. And I remember one time three years ago, John Lehman actually called me and he floated the idea about doing that by regions. And I actually told them, listen, it's not going to work. If you do that, you're basically going to stigmatize where we are. And a lot of people are going to avoid, you know, doing any type of business with us because they think it's more complicated than it actually is. I had the same conversation with John about here. Just to answer Peter's question there, I don't, but ARP does. ARP is a licensed breeder and uh, he ships snakes uh, internationally. Uh, legally with CITES permits and all the paperwork. It's taken a long time to get that worked out here, but um, I don't, ARP does. Yeah, we never do anything illegal here ever. Yeah, no one works in a train station and, you know, smuggles anything for us here, Peter. Yeah, and, Peter. Yeah. <laughs> and Kai <laughs> says hello to everyone. Hi. Hey, Kai. Hey, Kai. How are you doing, mate? And Stephen, maybe Courtney are also here, which maybe you know them now. Um, 
Wait, wait, let's go back to shipping real quick. So I've shipped to Puerto Rico. It's not a big deal. Just put that out there. I mean, it's get get a vet certificate and ship it. That's the only okay. way. It's wait, easier wait, than wait. shipping to Canada, and people are very comfortable in the U.S. Wait, Shay, but Shay, you got to give a shout out. Who did you ship to? Ron. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right, Ron. When the do you know about the zoo that was shut down? I'm sure you. There's only so many zoos. There's like one. There's only one. Yeah. Did you get Small some of the animals? I I heard some of them were in California from like a friend, and he had some ball pythons. Do you do you want to like share that story? Because it's kind of crazy. Because the snakes all had to be relocated, and some of them came to the U.S. I don't think that they have ball pythons in that zoo because I knew they had a lot of reticulated and they had Burmese ball pythons if they had any, because I actually went to the zoo about maybe 10, 12 years ago when it actually was a zoo. Um, but unfortunately, there was a lot of animals because um, they changed because originally the person that was administrating the, the zoo was the, was the local university here of Puerto Rico. And uh, before that, it was a government run. Mm -hmm. And um, obviously, you know, they just stepped back and they, they weren't actually working with any animals. I mean, the biggest new was news was when they actually shipped out Bindi, which was the elephant, you know, from mm -hmm. here. Right, she was um, alone. Yeah, and um, besides anything else or, or the snakes, um, all I know of the only snakes that I've actually seen there were larger ones, nothing nothing like ball pythons. And if there was- so I've seen it, pictures of the ball pythons, but, and boas, like, like, Imperators, like not obviously your native BCIs. They oh. were they were basically BCIs and um, a few berms and stuff like that. But nothing nothing more than that because, unfortunately, with illegal trade, uh, most of the the snakes that were either confiscated or um, caught in the in the wild would end up at there if not with fish and wildlife. That basically they had like a separate area, and then we all know what happens when when it ends up there. Right, they get a nail to the head. Right. Uh, there's a debate in the chat if Courtney is first or Shane or Steven. So I will have to settle that in the ring, I guess. For, for the record, I was the first one. I was here before Jessica was. I was here to, to, a, to a black blank screen at 630. So I was, I was the first of the first. Until the last minute. <laughs> uh, man, that's fun. So, Rob, what, what are, are you like? Are you making stuff for export? Do you feel like, or are you making stuff for personal interest, or you, most of your production is sold locally? Like, I'm a, I'm I'm a hobby breeder. Um, so officially, I do not sell. I have swapped a couple of snakes with people. But I have a close association with ARP constrictors. So one of the aims of my channel was to promote ARP constrictors and put Malaysia on the map. So he is the licensed breeder. He's the guy that will export snakes with permits, et cetera, et cetera. I don't. I'm just a hobby breeder. A big hobby breeder, but just a hobby breeder. Mm -hmm. I always wondered if, like, like, your cost of production is cheaper because you're not running electricity and you're on ambient and maybe the snakes like it better because it's more like where they're from anyway so you have better production hypothetically and so like it would be okay to export them and, and it would still be cheaper than you know a 
Wisconsin produced <laughs> the, the, the tundra and it barely wants to breed. The snakes are not the issue. The shipping costs are the issue. So for instance, for us, we can't, we can't ship one snake. It's just not cost effective. So right. we are trying to break into the international market, but it requires consignment. Um, mm -hmm. So once a year, maybe ARP is, is trying to get a, a, a situation where he can ship 30 or 40 snakes to the US or to the UK or to other areas, but certainly one snake not cost effective. Couldn't do it. Uh, Andrew, thanks for the $2 uh, super chat. Thank you. And he's a member now, too. Hopefully, I will be a good host. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. All right. Um, any other thoughts on Rich and maybe that part as we're sort of, we drifted a little bit? Um. Uh, I, I miss the guy. That's for sure. Uh, my my thoughts on it are, uh, I wish he didn't delete all the content on his channel because, like I said, even regardless of the four horsemen stuff, I would use his videos and and like Rob's videos for genetics and 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 Richard's videos for like the brand new ball python people. I'd just send them a link. How do I take care of this thing if I buy a snake? Watch this video from Rich. Cause he can explain it way better than me and breaks it down easy. You know, uh, he had a good channel, man. I think he should have left everything up and running. That's my thoughts. Hot take. I think he felt he couldn't. Even though I, I won't, because I won't he was say, getting out. I won't say any more than that, but when he decided to get out, it was total out completely. Yeah, there's some sort of like, I don't know, emotional turmoil being like, I failed, even though it's not a failure to try and then, you know, tr choose to do something else with your time. I don't think that's a failure at all. It would be like worrying about the sunk cost fallacy of it all. But yeah, I think some people, it hurts them more to have given up or whatever. You know, I, I I can't say that basically, you know, it's it's kind of like a give up thing. I mean, like each each person, they're masters of their own, you know, path and their own journey. And who are we to judge, you know, what decision that they make? Because we we're not in their shoes. Mm -hmm. You know, if anything, I have to say that I'm I'm very grateful, you know, for basically the time that we had. Um, like I said, I still cherish the, the messages because there's. There's some hilarious back and forth between all four of us, you know, even before we started, you know, collaborating together. Um, we were basically, you know, from there, we even took it over to Instagram just to continue it. And it was a progression of, of basically, I guess, the the ultimate demise of actually, you know, total a blackout of, of that. But the time that, you know, that we did have and and at least on my part, I have to say that I'm very, very grateful. Um, for you know, for everything that the, that each one of them actually you know contributed to my progression within this, and not only the hobby wise, but basically as a person, having to say that I had the uh, the best time actually collaborating with these four with these three great guys. Um, we're we're talking about a person that's that's not here now, and he can't speak for himself. But from a from a personal perspective, with my channel, 
I, I w- would say that I've been extremely lucky in that I have not experienced any social media negativity. Um, mm-hmm. My channel supporters have been fantastic. They add value to the channel in their comments. It is uh, an enjoyable bit of work to produce the videos and certainly for, for the, the amount of videos that Richard produced has a tremendous amount of work. But just remember that there's an awful lot goes on in the background that you don't see up front or is apparent from the videos. And I would say that it's that part of social media that puts people off. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. From yeah. my perspective, it, it, it hurts when somebody says something nasty for no reason or there's, there's negativity. And often a lot of that is private. It's not up front on the YouTube channel. Right. Like you could spend eight hours doing something to the best of your ability with like an earnest attempt to help someone. And they're like, you're boring. Like it's, it's something's like that. And they're like, okay, I don't know. You could have kept it to yourself also, but they say it much meaner than that. You're right. Well, I, I always, I always used to tell Richard that greatness has no time for distraction. Do not let it distract you. You just have to ignore it. Right. I'm still on that quote, Rob. Greatness has no time for distraction. Absolutely. Hot take right there. (laughs) Yeah, I want to say, though, I'm extremely grateful for everything we did, too. Uh, When I joined the Four Horsemen, I was, like, just starting my YouTube journey. I didn't know how to do YouTube at all. And I learned, uh, like, my, my channel shaped the way it is from doing videos with the Four Horsemen. Like I learned, I, I'm not a Rob Barraclaw. I can't sit there and do all the genetics and stuff. That's just not my strength. So and then when, when people ask me for that stuff, I send them to Rob's channel, you know, like go over there. He's got all that info for you. I'm not the guy. <laughs> you underestimate yourself, Shane. <laughs> yeah, and Rob is still quite active. Like if people don't know Rob or I don't know why you wouldn't know Rob, but if you don't, you can go check him out. And then, Ron, your channel is a little less active, but you just moved. Yeah. So you're going to get like, back into it? Uh, um, I it, It's it's still a process for me, to tell you the truth. Um, I, I kind of feel that basically, you know, your craft only can be representative if you believe in it, to the point that um, you have to have passion for it. And mm-hmm. even though I do have passion, um, I, I mean, like, there's there's things that actually um, took away a lot of passion for me. And not to get too much in deep with that, but um, I'm still actually rediscovering myself all over again. And um, I'm actually trying to um, build up my own personal journey. And once I'm, I'm a bit more stable, you'll see a lot more content from me. You know, I, I'm more active on Instagram. I'm really really active on instagram i'm really active on on tiktok um but actually sit in front of a camera and actually talk into details about a project or anything um i'm still not there yet i'm still not there yet so um i don't want to cheat someone out and and bore you know the heck out of a person out of anything and give it this justice to what this hobby actually means 
And I leave it up to other people that actually can demonstrate it passionately enough and then um, give the hobby the, the good representation it deserves. Peter misses you, buddy. He's kissing up. I mean, like. <laughs> <laughs> Peter has always been one of the, uh, the greatest supporters of the Four Horsemen. Oh, yeah. I mean, like, Peter's, Peter's incredible. I mean, like, Peter, if anything, I have to say stuff like that. He's a junior Four Horseman. Yeah. Oh. yeah. I, I kind of told a little bit of the story backstage, but I was introduced to, to Peter Snake's channel from the, from the rest of the Four Horsemen. And, uh, yeah, and then you know I've known Peter ever since. Yeah, you know? so thank you guys, <laughs> and thanks Peter. He's yeah. a real team player. Yeah, I mean Rod or Rob, you can come on the podcast anytime. I talk about snakes all the time, and it's like pretty easy. But I don't, you know, it, like if you don't want the the burden of like having to get the energy to do it yourself, that's what lives I think are good for. It's just like. I find it very easy to talk about snakes, but this podcast has been talking about people, which is a little bit harder. <laughs> well, we can move on to snakes, uh, you know. Yeah, I got to tell you, this is the funny thing. I mean, like, um, I every time that I go into a different breeder's local setup here in Puerto Rico, um, I, I'll have an issue back home because I'll be there hours and hours and hours and and we're just talking about projects and snakes and stuff like that. And and I love it so much. Just like Rob says, I mean, I love talking about snakes. You, you talk about a specific project or whatever, and and you'll you'll have me, and and I will not shut up, you know. And I guess you know, it's 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 that contagious. Mm. Yeah, it's it's a wonderland. Every time I visit ARP and go through his racks, and I have full access to everything that he's doing and we just sit and talk projects for hours i'm exactly the same right talking shop is like how you know it's an actual snake person because uh, yeah. you yeah. can't get him away from the water cooler to actually go do any work right <laughs> <laughs> so rod what what projects are you really excited about what um has lit a fire under your butt that made you want to buy an ARS rack? Oh gosh. Um, I never gave up on, on working multi-recessors. That's, that's basically my, my pride and joy. And it actually, you know, it shows the, the, the dedication of, you know, actually, you know, what, what the actual ball Python has to offer because it doesn't end. Um, I remember when I first started working with ball pythons, it was all about stacking as many cooldowns as you can, you know, just getting all those different combinations in there. But it came to a point that you start losing it and, and you can actually, you had no idea what you had. Now turn it up a little bit and make it more challenging and work recesses into that and then work multi recesses. Mm -hmm. um, one of the projects that I'm super, super excited is um, one of my dream projects was obviously the Dreamsicle. And now I, I, I've hit it so many times that, that I'm, I'm tweaking it out with different combinations. Um, and that's a multi-recessive for me. Actually, it's a double recessive. But now I'm working with, with um, quad heads. Um, besides that, I'm also working on um, multi-recessive um, monsoons 
Um, I have double recessive monsoon desert ghosts and double recessive monsoons um, clowns. Um, I want to tweak that out even more and put lavender in there. Um, I'm working multi recessives with sunsets, um, clowns. I mean, like clowns. It's it's it's. I just hit the desert ghost clown the other day. I hit a few of them, as a matter of fact, and it's the the end result. Not even the end result because there is no end. But basically, those projects fuels the 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 continuation that I have to actually want to get that invested with the ARS or anything else because it's part of the passion that I have of breathing. Rob, what are you excited about? Uh, again, multi-recessives. I find the uh, the genetics very. Um, it's it's more interesting from my perspective. Um, it's not a value thing. It's just putting together those combinations and and double and triple recessives. The 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 odds are just <laughs> get harder and harder and harder. Um, but yeah, I'm I'm with Ron again there. Uh, working different genes, carefully selected combinations of genes in your gene snack to make a pretty snake. Not just putting as many genes in there as possible. And I, I actually find working with the different um, combinations, allelic combinations, um, is mm -hmm. very exciting. I'm, I'm big into clowns and working with the spider complex. Let's call it the spot nose complex rather than the spider complex so we don't, <laughs> we don't get any negative vibes. But the spot nose complex and all the associated genes with it and the way that they work allelically is just awesome. That's really where my main interest lies right now. Shane, what are you excited about? G-stripe clowns, baby. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, but to, to segue off what they're talking about, so I've, along the way, you know, I'm building all these double heads and now triple heads. It's like it never ends because my original goal was G-stripe clowns, but now I'm adding hypo and desert ghost in there with my with my head army of females you know so it's like it ne never ends it's just a ongoing process but i gotta like build the females now so my odds are better later and just keep mm -hmm. going and then like as far as any of the other genes i really like pattern disruptors so the spot nose complex confusion stuff like that i like all those crazy wonky patterns you know i like it just crazy so did you see the Saxon? No, I need to watch that video. I haven't watched it yet. Mm, I was, I, I didn't really get it. I, I like ball pythons, but like, I was actually excited. I was like, it's different enough and it's adding a ton of pattern and it's fighting pattern reducers a lot. So check out Balls uh, to You's balls to new Saxon video. He was like, yeah, I was going to get out of it. And then I saw this and I'm like, look at that. <laughs> Because it's fighting so hard, so it'll make a high pattern kiki or or whatever. So yeah, Rob and Ron, and check back, that one out. Yeah, yeah, going back to what Shane was actually talking about, um, if you skip a year for whatever reason, you're going to hit yourself so hard in the back when you're seeing the progression of you know what other people are making, and then you feel like you missed that boat, and it's not easy to catch up. So. Um, it's it's kind of the main reason why you know there's always going to be something new that's going to pop out that's going to catch your eye and you don't want to be at that point that basically when you're drawn back in and then you feel that it's even harder to jump back in and start up again 
um, when you're seeing how far it is because you took like a season or two off, um, because mm -hmm. that will that really will set you back, especially you know how far um, anyone actually got it got into this. If you are already working, if you're starting out, I mean, like you're in the best time to start out because we've done a lot of the work. A lot of Peter's done a lot of work, and there's a lot of of, of variety that you can actually choose from and to work with, and then from there, build up your own passion for a specific project. I think for us out here in Southeast Asia, we we struggle to get the latest and greatest morphs. We don't have all these new genes available, and it's very, very expensive to make an import every year. We can't, we just, we, we can't do it. Um, you know, ARP imported 15 years ago, and then we just did another import two years ago so we spend a lot of our time optimizing what we've got rather than trying to chase all the new genes mm -hmm. you know and if i could just add on to that sure if if i could add on to that rob and you hit it on the nail on something and something that i've noticed specifically coming from the asian market because they're limited with a lot of uh, projects that they can have they're more in turn to have to actually line breed a lot of projects. That's a lot of things a lot of people, they do not do. And they're they're missing out on the benefit of what that actually has. Rob hit it on the nail with that because he, he produces these incredible Iron Man clutches. Yeah. I mean, like, and it's basically, it's, it's, it's general and entry, but because he has that project and he's worked it so much, so much, it actually, he fine tuned it even more. You know, it's it's like the representation. I personally feel what Ozzy did with the high intensity orange dream. Yeah. You know, that's exactly what's happening over there. And even if they're not adding on new projects, they're they're holding on to the ones that they have, and they're building out the full potentials that those actually combos actually have. So mm -hmm. I have to applaud. You know, a lot of things that Rob actually produces. I I love the things that he makes out there. Never underestimate how much of a difference quality line breeding can make. Um, we've been forced into it to some extent, but some of the stuff that ARP produces, fairly simple combinations that just look so much better than anything that you see on Morph Market. And there's a reason for that. Um, quality in, quality out. That's, that's our motto. Right. Yeah. People always want to buy cheap snakes. No, buy the best looking snake that you can afford because that's the base you're going to start from and you're going to build on it. You know, people hate on pastel. We have some amazing pastels out here that don't brown out. It's amazing what you can do when you when you can't get all the latest and greatest genes. So you, you're, you're not mixing all the genes. You're maximizing and making the best of the genes that you have. I actually watched uh, a video with Justin, and Justin uh, said he wasn't into line breeding. He's more into mixing the new genes. And I thought, well, that first of all, that's not exactly true, and I don't believe that you believe that. <laughs> but I was, I was surprised to, to say that Justin focuses on mixing the, the right gene stacks. I'm... If, if that's really what he's doing, he's missing a lot. Yeah, the, the U.S. market's very fast to turn sentiment. Mm. So like, it's almost like you breed it this year, 
good buddy next year mm. and moves on it feels like from like what's like a, a good gene that's why like we forget genes that we like and then someone rediscovers them because nobody even hardly worked it just like the, the sentiment quickly moved on because people are just stackers deep down inside so i'm almost jealous maybe i'll move to malaysia <laughs> it sounds better <laughs> I, I i do see a trend in the industry everybody's tripping over themselves to to name a new gene and get their get their name on a new gene we don't have that luxury out here so it's not a it's not a factor for us when when a new gene comes out i look at a new gene and think well that just looks like something else that's that's very similar what can i make with that that i can't already make and if the answer's nothing i'm not interested when a new gene comes out if it's different enough and distinctive enough that i can actually see what it does in combinations then i'm interested a lot of these genes you put them into combos and you don't see them again. They're hidden. They do nothing. Mm -hmm. Is there a gene that you don't have in Malaysia that you want to get on the next? No, oh, where do I start the list? Where do <laughs> I start my list? Um, again, going back to the spot nose complex, uh, we don't have chocolate out here. And we are going oh, to get, no. we are going to bring in chocolate. Uh, I, I, I think that's essential, Ron. This will be near and dear to you with the chocolate DGs. We're working DG into, into as much as we possibly can. And my racks are full of double and triple heads. And the advantage of working closely with ARP is that we can actually work together. So we can swap our, our heads out, which shortcuts the, the process. I've always got snakes that he wants. He's always got snakes that I want. So that works out really well. Yeah. yeah. I, I can tell you a gene that I don't want, and this is going to cause some consternation. Sunset. Sunset. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> that was a drama on Facebook today, as a matter of fact, about that. It's, it's funny that you mentioned it. <laughs> well, I, I saw always evolved in Python's uh, the first Sunset DGs. And I looked at it and thought, why, why, why did you make that? It's. I will, I will, I will tell you a combo that will change your opinion on sunset, and that's the lavender sunset. I think there are always certain gene stacks that work well with any combination. It's just a question of finding it. And for me, I haven't seen anything where 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 somebody's added something to sunset, and I've gone, wow, that that works for me. Do you see the calico sunset? Yeah. All right. I I feel like that that is the most transformative, but then if that because there's like little like burned out spots of white, but maybe that we, we don't have sunset out here by the way, so that probably biases my views. <laughs> That'll be in the next care package with chocolate. <laughs> we'll just fly over and drop a little. We should send some out there to you so you and ARP can line breed it and, and find the right stacks, and then we'll, we'll get some back from you. Now, mm -hmm. uh, let me ask Rob. I got to ask you a question because I'm very fine-tuned with the uh, with the Asian market because I'm seeing the incredible expos that they have over there, mm. especially the ones that they have in in um, in shopping malls. I I'm so impressed that I see in shopping malls, um, people are doing the shopping and they have expos of of reptiles, and it's not basic reptiles. These are reptiles. That I'm like, oh my god! I mean, like, how did they get those combinations? Is it is it because it's closer to you to actually piggyback off of them and ship to you, or is there embargo from actually getting something from 
from China or Japan? Um, the problem for us is bureaucracy. So you have the import side and you have the export side. So when, when ARP needs to export, he needs to get all the expert pa paperwork in line and it has to match up with the import paperwork at the other side. And if, if one of the administrations is a little bit slow and it misses the window, you start all over again. You start right back at the beginning of the process for your export permits and doing the import permits at the other side. So it, it, it's difficult. That'd be frustrating. Not impossible, but it's difficult. Yeah, and, and I, I don't think that our market is, is quite as advanced in that regard as, as countries that are more used to importing, exporting stuff. Okay. It's possible. We're getting there. Yeah, I, I, are you referring to like Korean and Taiwanese? Like it's mostly Koreans that do the like little pop-up small expos. Well, um, as a matter of fact, because I'm also subscribed to David um, Suarez or David Su's videos, yeah. and um, he hops on over to Indonesia off and on. Oh, and I see too. the, yeah, they do incredible expos. As a matter of fact, Justin, I mean, like I, I was, I was oh, hating man. on his video that he went exactly to Thailand and they had an expo with that. And what I love about the, the video, and I commented on his on his Instagram about that, that I was I was so jelly because that's on my bucket list of the places that I want to actually go to to actually see a, a vending at that magnitude, is that they actually give trophies for a pattern, not a specific morph, but be, but the representation of how it looks. So you get trophies for that, then you get a trophy for um, a specific gene, and then you get a trophy for for something else. And um, you see tables of that. I mean, like it's 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 so. I, I kind of see that actually motivates even more um, the the hobby, and because I, I I don't know what the distance is between Indonesia and Malaysia, uh, but because I do see off and on that they're jumping off or on to that island. Um, I, I, I was just curious about um, acquiring something from that point. It's less than two hours by plane from here to Jakarta. Uh, very easy. Um, I've, I've visited David. I've been fortunate enough to uh, live close enough to have visited David many times. He's a, he's a good friend. And yes, he makes some awesome stuff. Absolutely awesome. Um, I don't know if this is a trigger, but Robert asks, Rob, about vanilla cream clowns? Question mark. <laughs> um, there's, I, I like the allelic combos, and I have been trying for several years now to get a vanilla cream or a vanilla scream clown, and I've missed it every single time. I, I actually have a super vanilla. Uh, female clown in my holdback racks, which was which was produced um, as part of that project. But I actually I actually got two vanillas rather than vanilla and fire. Um, ARP has been trying for eleven years to wow. hit a VPI exanthic clown, and he made three this season. So finally, we we are getting there with uh, with some of these both double recessives and recessives with allelic combos, which are effectively just as hard to, to make. So I have clutches in the incubator now, which 
fingers crossed, I'm going to get my vanilla cream cloud this time around. Do you think the market should start valuing viable homozygotes that are of an incomplete dominant gene the same as recessives instead of like treating them like in some cases they're more expensive like in the u.s a, a homozygous blackhead is more expensive than you know a pie right okay well i'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna jump here in here from a genetic perspective and we talk about dominant incomplete dominant and recessive genes for me they're all the same there are two slots available on in a, a diploid animal that has a set of chromosomes from mum and a set of chromosomes from dad. So whether it's recessive, whether it's dominant, or whether it's incomplete dominant, you can get one copy, heterozygous, or two copies, homozygous. And the homozygous form, whether it's a recessive or an incomplete dominant, is just as hard to hit. Mm -hmm. So therefore, for me, in terms of breeding them and the effort that it takes, it's just as hard to get that combination or the allelic combinations when you're working with the same complex and trying to mix two allelic genes. Effectively, they're the super form as well because they occupy the same locus. So, yes, I, I, I think we undervalue super forms. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. because And I think there's something psychological going on here, and that's why people will, like, pretend something's recessive when it's not and to, to make the prices different. But like, if we just stopped thinking about it in terms of recessive is valuable and just be like, is it heterozygote? Is it homozygote? And at what, what locus and what's filling them, then we can more like empirically value the animal's difficulty to produce. But I don't know if we're ready for that. The ball python hobby is, I don't know. I remember a video Gentle. with the with the four horsemen where uh, we talked about het markers and whether they're a real thing. And and for me, as a scientist, if you have one copy of a genetic mutation residing in a locus, how can it not have an influence? Of course, it has an influence. You might not be able to see it, but it has an influence. You're not looking properly if you don't see it. Every single het will express some way or another it's just that we don't we don't often recognize we we'd far rather send off and do a 60 dollar test than actually look with our eyes and do some work that was a burn everybody you've all been burned me yeah. too well again we don't have genetics. Well, i love rob <laughs> you know and and, and, and again it comes back to when you when you start to stack genes. If you can't see what the genes are doing, if you can't recognize them and you need to send them off for genetic testing, HETs accepted, yes. I accept that when you're working with, with, with HETs, double HETs, triple HETs, you need the genetic test to reduce the odds and make sure you're, you're pairing the right snake. But if you're making combinations where you can't see the genes that are in there, why are they in there? What are we doing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I got to say, as a person that actually been building up a head army and multi heads here, um, I've actually seen this and we've talked about this so many times that the influence of the pattern of the color um, that we see when we have these holdbacks. And obviously, um, it's not easy hitting on those multi visual recessives. Um, I, for example, um, just to go back with the Desert Ghost Clown that I hit. Um, I actually use six different females and using six females, 
I only hit it off of on one of them, and they were all 100% um, double or even triple heads. Only mm -hmm. one female actually was able to produce that out of six females. Now, imagine a person that only has a pair, and they don't hit that one season. Then they have to wait the next season, and if that female reabsorbs, or for whatever reason, the, the male doesn't lock, or for whatever, that's an extra year he has to wait. So um, that actually contributes why I have to invest on more um, racks, because I have so many... Um, pullbacks to try to actually get to the end results or not even end results because I don't want to actually use that term but at least with the path of what I'm trying to produce um, going back to a question that I saw about here about the desert ghost when the when the when the conflict of it came out about RGI and the results that they were coming out with there was a panic that everyone had that was working with the projects but something that I just figured is how has it changed how we were breathing before that um, discovery was made. It hasn't. Yeah. So um, it just we basically goes back. We got the genetic tests. We never even noticed. Yeah, but it was just basically, I, I guess it, it it made a lot of people nervous about what they were working. And, and mm -hmm. even if you have 100% heads, this is something we talked about so many times. You could miss, the odds could be so bad against you that you won't hit it. And it, it's... It goes back to how persistent you are with that pairing or how many females you have to go to actually get what you're trying to get. It has nothing to do with the DGA, B, C, D, or whatever the outfits they want to add into it. Um, it hasn't changed the past how it's been worked before. So, This takes me back to, to line breeding. It came as absolutely no surprise to me to, to learn that some of the genes that we work with are actually polygenic. And there are other genes involved that influence the way that an animal looks depending upon what what else is in that animal and that's where quality line breeding comes in so for instance a good quality pastel is probably being influenced by other genes that we don't know about in that stack and that's why mm -hmm. Ozzy produces such fantastic orange dreams because his animals over time have acquired that necessary gene pool that's invisible in the background to produce those quality animals. So, DG, I actually did a video on, on the uh, DGA, DGB, and I've been waiting and waiting and waiting for RGI to complete the picture with DGC because the, what they published was... An advancement but not the whole story and the video that i i did actually used a 16 square punnett square because it's 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 actually four by four so a, a 16 square and i actually worked out what the odds were for producing visuals and it's about the same as if it was a four by four square it's about the same as if it was a simple recessive there are more combinations involved and without genetic testing, you wouldn't know what you've got. But in terms of your pairings and how many visuals you're going to get, it didn't make much difference. Now, when are they going to release the rest of that data? I, I think they have enough work backed up now, so job done, to last them for years and years. And if you're paying for that data, fair dues, you get that data. I'm sure many people that have paid for that testing already know the complete picture they have an advantage genetic testing out here is not available so we're never going to get that complete picture so i'm, I'm just going, fall, falling back on 
we never knew about this before, so how does it change what I'm going to do? It doesn't. Exactly. And it goes back to the, the, the example that one time me and Shane went back and forth about sonogram machines. Um, everyone was breathing before sonograms. I mean, like, what changed? Ultrasounds. I'm sorry. Ultrasounds. Uh, what changed? Um, what, it, what it makes is what it makes is basically it's an additional tool. But before ultrasounds, I was still breathing. I was still producing clutches. So the same thing with the genetic testing. What were we doing before genetic testing? Proving it out, you know. Um, I guess that basically it it's 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 trying to make it a little bit more complex. And I, I guess that's a big scare for a lot of people um, because now it's getting a little bit more technical than what it that what it really needs to be. Something I've like been wondering about is if it's actually like linkage. It actually really is simple recessive and not polygenic. And, he, and it just, they're not sorting independently and they think B or C or something is relevant. But I think I've seen the reverse now where like a homozygous B was visual and not A. But since A seemed to predominate, I was just like, I don't know if Rob, you have thought about that. Yeah, the database is, is incomplete. And as I say, the, the, we don't have the, the whole story. But from what I can gather from what RGI have released, the uh, locus for DGA and the locus for DGB is actually on a separate chromosome. So when you produce your haploid cells during gamete production, they have to work independently. They don't go together. So when the, when the chromosome produces the... the the haploid gametes for DGA, that's a completely different process to DGA. All right, it's far enough apart. You can get the, 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 all the various permutations. And without genetic testing, you wouldn't know. Mm -hmm. yeah, but yes, I mean, like, that homozygous, homozygous B, homozygous A doesn't produce a visual without something else being there. And they've mentioned DGC, but that's as far as it's gone. They haven't actually finished the story yet. And I don't know that they ever will. Well, we all in the U.S. anyway sent in like two free samples. So Shane and I did it with pictures, like to confirm that it was. A I did. I did that also. Oh. I still haven't got anything back. Right. That they haven't run any of them yet, as far as I'm aware. They're waiting until no, because they the free one. end of days or whatever. They've got plenty of people that are paying for it, so your <laughs> free ones are at the back of the queue. Right. Exactly. Yeah, but the thing is, the thing is, it hasn't changed how I'm working my project. Um, no. I, I just I just got on the bus because it was free and maybe I have something to actually show, but um, it hasn't changed. I'm working and I'm still working as it goes profusely. Um, and I, I'm hitting a lot of desert ghosts, as a matter of fact. Um, I, I, I did visual to visual this this season and I got all visuals. So I didn't get that unexpected result of half of the clutch not being visual. I didn't get that. I was I did that as a matter of fact, even before the 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 news broke because I wanted to see um, what I have more to actually offer. Um, and then when I did head to heads, something that helped me out as a matter of fact, and I don't know if it was just pure luck out of the odds, was using cryptic um, in the combination. And out of that, I don't know how that made a difference, but because I used cryptic in one of my pairings, she was the one that gave me more Desert Ghost visuals than the other ones that were non-cryptic. I don't know what that has to do with it, but I just noticed that in, in my parents. Like maybe I, she's I, I homo. Believe, sorry, sorry. I, 
I have heard of that link with with cryptic before, but I don't have any insight into how that that works. Well, I think some of these animals that we think aren't visuals are like homozygous at one position, head at another position, and head at the third hypothetical position. And so then they look like heads, but they're actually super heads, right? Like more likely to, to make visuals. So, yeah. And, and I think I might have produced one of those. I sent Jessica pictures, but I got uh, a DG clutch and I have my obvious DGs and then I have an obvious one that's not DG. And then I have this one that looks like it's three quarters of a DG. <laughs> right. I'm like, so I, I'm waiting head. For it to like, I want it to like shed three or four times before I make the final decision on if it's DG or not, but it's definitely somewhere in between the, the normal and the DG looking, you know, it's just it's different. Mm -hmm. So it might be a super head. Yeah. I like yeah. that. Super head. <laughs> Well, I've got I've got a bunch of double hats uh, for various desert ghost double recessive projects, hypo uh, clowns. We, we've got quite a few that are going to be coming up in the next year. So it'll be interesting to see what the results are from that because we're working completely visually. We won't have genetic testing. So again, I I go back to keeping quality records of your pairings. It's going to become more and more important as we as we go down this multi-recessive route. You can still do it without genetic testing if your records are good. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if anybody knows this, but like charcoal and I think it's amel and corn snakes are like really closely linked. So it's very hard to hit the double. I think it's called a blizzard or something like that, an avalanche. So like. But you can still hit it eventually if you get everything to line up just right. But it's like one in two hundred. But charcoal or corn snake people are nuts, so they'll they'll go for it <laughs> all day. Have, so we'll find that in ball pythons eventually is something that is hard to hit, even harder to hit. I have noticed with some allelic combinations. Again, this touches on what what Ron was mentioning. Um, allelic combinations theoretically should give 50-50, right? 50% one, 50% the other. I found that's not necessarily the case. A particular snake will throw a lot more of one of the genes than the other. And I don't know why. Hmm. I don't know either. <laughs> Maybe they, I don't know. Like, they don't have very different uh, chromosomes. They're not that like physically different. So even if there's a mutation, there's not like a large change. So it wouldn't be like the, the gamete would weigh differently or something or have a fitness difference. Maybe the fit at the locus is not quite as, as good as we, as we think it is. So, for instance, if you have a cinnamon enchi and it throws 90% cinnamon and only 10% enchi, it could be that there is actually a small difference between the way that that gene fits at the locus. I, mm. I, I don't know. I'd have to ask a, a geneticist about that. But I have noticed that it very rarely does a snake give you 50-50 when it's an allelic combination. It tends to throw more of one than the other. Shane or Ron, have you noticed like a bias? No, I, I haven't worked with too many ALS combos myself. I'm I just don't have them in my uh in my arsenal. So 
I do know some snakes, like, so I had a GHI pied and like 90% of everything he produced was GHI. I have like, I'm flooded with GHI right now. I thought that was strange myself. I'm like, I'm and multiple clutches throughout the year. It's like almost all GHI. I don't know why he wasn't a super. He did make ones that weren't GHI, but yeah, that's the only thing I've noticed weird in my collection. Interesting comment from Odds Gods there about the the, the odds being uh, per egg rather than uh, per clutch. Um, we're we're actually confusing genetics and statistics here. Um, there are two processes operating, and yes, there is dependency. If you have had, from a statistical perspective, not a genetic perspective, if you've had four eggs that are one, the chances of the it's like heads and tails. If you if you throw four heads, the chances of you throwing a tails next time is still 50-50, but over time, it should even out so over years and years of breeding and many many clutches it, it should from a statistical perspective even out mm-hmm. yeah and i guess genetics, that's why it... genetics is biasing that it's the way genetics work that means that doesn't actually always happen i i guess that's why a lot of people actually jump on projects or give up on certain projects because they didn't get the results that they were they expected by what they heard what the odd calculator they would get from Wolf Market or, or Genetic Wizard, um, and they were expecting those results. Um, but it goes back to basically um, the continuation of, you know, working that same project, you know. I mean, like, it's the, the, the ball python, and this is, this is the biggest reason that it fascinates me to the point that I'm still working um, with this, because each season, it it changes, you know, it's, it's not a set in stone procedure of the results that you're going to end up with. So um, knowing that it's going to be challenging every time when you're working anything, not knowing what the results are until you actually, uh, it starts pipping and, and you could see it even with that, not until after a few sheds, you still even know what you have. Mm. Um, And that's, that's the fascinating thing about that, that actually gives growth to this. If you always knew what you were going to get, there'd be no excitement over the eggs hatching. Right, right. Mm. All right, chat. Do you have any more questions? We have maybe like 15 more minutes. Tops. Uh, Adam mentions the leopard gecko combo that was like the corn snake where they're linked. Yeah. So that you can hit it, but it's hard. So it ends up being like a you know, you make 200 geckos to hit one type of thing. I knew they had one with the Murphy's pattern list, but I couldn't remember what the other morph was. Yeah, I think that, to me, that's the most exciting part about actually sequencing the ball python stuff. It's not necessarily like, you know, solving the riddle of are your heads pause heads or whatever. It's just like learning what they are, what genes are actually broken or modified or misfolded or whatever, like the proteins eventually. And then we could, we could actually like understand everything better, more intimately, instead of just being like, yeah, it's purple. Yeah. Uh, purple <laughs> plus purple equals more purple. I don't know. Like it's much more interesting now because we actually like have a chance to think about and then what genes downstream are being affected. So maybe we, we don't, like in boas, almost all of them have like a, a the incomplete dominance have a lethal super. 
because whatever pattern mutation also affects, uh, you know, muscle tissue too. And so you end up having like musculature deformities. So whenever we actually sequence and figure out those, we'll know which ones are like the worst, like which ones, you know, maybe we should, from an ethical standpoint, not breed at all. <laughs> uh oh, spicy hot topic. Mark asks <laughs> the nanny to carnage <laughs> name change that was a <laughs> uh, a controversial topic a couple weeks ago. Um, <laughs> I'm sorry. I mean, I like, um, yeah, it is. It is a big issue because there's a big breeder that actually is very, very invested invested with that project. Um, I, I, I gotta say that to change a project because the, the name was not, you know, was hurting the, the project itself and making it more, it, 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 it didn't sit well with me. I, I, I actually, you know, I got my personal opinion about that, but it's a personal opinion. Go ahead, um, it's not it helping out. the project. I mean, like you're trying to reinvent the wheel. Right. You know, you're trying to reinvent the wheel. You're trying to put, put excitement in a project that already exists by changing the name. You know, I, I'm not I'm not going to pull hairs on that. So, uh, but yeah, it's, Carnage is a good name, but for the name. I know. I love the name. I, I love the name. I mean, like, it's kick ass if you ask me and stuff like that. But, you know, I mean, like, as a matter of fact, it's an upgrade for that sissy name it had before, you know. But um, maybe it should have been the, the gene formerly known as Nanny, you know, and then just make a symbol like Prince did, you know. Yeah, but but the thing is, is that you, you're opening the you're opening Pandora's box to criticism because we're already seeing that with a lot of genes in Europe that that are being called a certain line when we already know what it is. You know, um, I don't want to call out anyone specifically on that, but there's, that's always been an issue that, for example, I'm just going to put a random gene out there, fire, you'll have fire and then someone else will call it something else. And then you have spider and someone else will call it something else. And then, um, you know, you'll have engine, someone's going to call it something else. And they're playing with the names and just sticking with it. You know, if it's good or if it's a bad name. Don't change the name. I mean, like, don't try to reinvent something that's already there. You know, if it works great in whatever combo, leave it as it is with the name it is. You're going to confuse people that's already invested in the project, and you're going to confuse people that are thinking to get jumping into it. Yeah, but this is the ball python world. That's what we do. We confuse people. I mean, that's just the name of the game. <laughs> I, I, I'd be quite okay with calling genes A, B, C, D, E. <laughs> yeah, it actually would... I mean, for marketing reasons, it probably would work out. But for, like, trying to convey the actual genotype of the animal, it would be much more clear what's happening. I've already seen a super carnage on Morph Market. And because Morph Market hasn't accepted the name change, it's, like, super nanny, like, in the, yeah, that's, the tag. That's the thing. That's the it's thing. already you're confusing. Gonna, like, you're you're going to confuse. I, I've been in this for, for, for quite a while. Not as much as long as the, the, the other people that are changing the names. But when I saw that that name change, it's not the name change, but the actual name, I was like, wait a second, what gene am I missing out? I was like, oh, wait a second, it's a nanny. Skip. Mm -hmm. You know, it, 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 it doesn't impress me. It doesn't, you know, the name's not going to change what the project does. It just doesn't impress me. It's also very similar to Carnivore, which is a... Leopard. New gene. <laughs> well, a, <laughs> maybe a version of Leopard. 
but it's a very similar name. So we have two name changes on two things that are something else, maybe. And then, I don't know. And then Danny is probably Grim and a couple other granite genes. Why, why genetically test all these new names that come out, like Carnivore? Get it tested. Let's see where it fits on the locus. Is it leopard or is it actually something else? That's what we should be using. There you go. There you go. these superfluous names because they all turn out to be the same damn thing. <laughs> they probably will. I, I think this will be a controversial except, episode. Except the original like name. Would you have to do it like? the type specimen is like the first one sort of like taxonomically and that's the name you pick or is it a popularity contest at that point or a council of elders i think it's a popularity concept if anything yeah but yeah, the popularity I think we need a committee <laughs> <laughs> right if we like to go back to the, the show question if there was a organizing body that helped run shows that were for giving out prizes for, you know, type and beauty of the specimen, that show could also have breed standards and, you know, figure out name, naming confusion. They would have a council of elders built in to the organization. But, you know, you'd have to get multiple ball python people together and have them agree to even start like a, you know, a breeders club or whatever. Can we do that? Maybe no. I'll nominate the three horsemen to start the Breeders Club. I was going to say, that's going to be a whole other argument in itself on who's on the committee and uh, everything else, you know? <laughs> <sighs> I, I like that comment you had highlighted, though, because that's something that Rob talks about in his video. All right, the read room, it. Rhythm of the Room. Oh, the yes, rhythm of the, the rhythm of the Room. Yeah. <laughs> I, I often think that we... Rather than using ultrasound and, and doing all these genetic testing and stuff, just follow your snakes. Observe your snakes. Let your snakes tell you where they're at. Because the rhythm of the room is a real thing. I, I sense it every day when I, when I go in the snake room. So, for instance, now we're just approaching the wet season. And I've had an early pulse of females that have been building and already laid. And now I'm into a second pulse at the back end of the year as we start to go into the, the rainy season. And all the snakes tend to get in sync with each other once those hormones, the pheromones, start to, to, start to flow. All the snakes get in sync. So, for instance, half the year, my, my males are just really docile and, and don't, don't really do much. And then once the females start to build at the change of the season, you see all the males switching on and, and starting to get active and wanting to go out looking for girls. And it's, it's a real thing. Lindsay asks, uh, Robert, uh, is there any new ball python behavioral experiments you would like to do in the future? <laughs> oh, goodness. I, I guess the whole of my snake room is, is a behavioral experiment. I, I do spend a lot of time with my, with my snakes actually just letting them do their thing. And I, I, I think it's a good thing in that, for me, arguments about racks versus terrariums, I've done a series of experiments where I've moved snakes from one environment to the other, 
albeit within the same room. I've, I've seen snakes become unsettled in both terrariums and in tubs, and it's all to do with their hormone cycles. Um, if you actually watch what the snakes are doing, they will tell you where they're at and what, what it is that they need in order to get them to settle back down again. So I'm, I'm not real big on this racks versus terrariums. You can make them work. My snakes will move seamlessly from one to the other. I wouldn't like to try and breed in a terrarium. That, that's, it's a lot easier to collect eggs and put them in an incubator if you've got the snakes in a tub. They're just easier to manage. Is that the right thing for the snake? I, to be honest, if you have a rack system and allow your snakes the freedom to come out when you clean, if they display an interesting coming out, I don't know whether anybody's seen my videos on the free roaming. Mm -hmm. And again, I think that's something that we misinterpret. We spend time trying to enrich our snakes with climbing opportunities and fake vegetation. They're not interested in any of that. They're interested in smell. They're interested in smelling each other. When my snakes free roam, they spend all their time scenting where other snakes have been just like the dogs on the neighborhood lamppost where the dog every single dog will stop at that lamppost and have a pee my snakes do exactly the same thing they make a beeline for that paper rack that the other snakes have been on and they'll leave their little scenting calling card there and it fascinates the snakes climbing mm -hmm. stuff is just a way to get to food or to get to males females it doesn't really interest the snakes that much. They're interested in each other. They're interested in scent. Yeah, and, and the other thing is, um, because I'm here in Puerto Rico, and this is something that me and Rob, we, we've talked about so many times, is that we have similar environments, you know, and we're in opposite time zones, but we have similar time, um, um, climates. And I've seen a lot of breeders here, and not even breeders, there are accidental breeders um, that I call them, that basically they have an aquarium and they basically were cleaning snakes and they, they just basically put two snakes together while they were cleaning out the other glass aquarium that they were keeping the other one. In. And without them knowing, they had a lock and then at the end of the year, they had a clutch. And they were, they were like, what am I going to do? And most of the times they just leave it with the snake and they'll do maternal incubation or they'll put it in, a, in an egg box and they'll just put it in their closet and they'll um, incubate at an ambient temperature and it'll hatch. I've, mm, I've seen I've that it. so many times, I've, I've done it. videos. Yeah, I've, I've had videos. As a matter of fact, I have a separate YouTube channel in Spanish and I highlighted a breeder that actually breeds out of his closet and he incubates his eggs out of that closet. You know, no heat tape, no nothing, just mm. with ambient temperature. So if it's something that's basic, <laughs> Exactly, exactly. It took him because that was the, that was the incredible thing. How long it took the eggs um, to do their incubation to actually hatch 75 days, 72 days, it would basically depend, but it was always over 70 days. When we're used to hearing 55 days, 52 days, never ever over 60. But here we're seeing people actually hitting 75 days. Makes sense. Will says he's sticking with Danny. He doesn't like carnage. Mm -mm. And then I'm Pico okay with that. <laughs> says uh, she would love to see a video from Robert about how he keeps through records organizing the paperwork into feeding, feeding, pairing, clutching, labeling, etc. 
In interesting because the, these days people are pushing uh, computer records, QR codes, etc. I'm I'm still a, a, a note, notebook kind of guy, and in my snake room, I see on the background in in Shane's room there, he's got paper clips and stuff, little coloured dots on his his tubs. I like that visual. When I walk into the snake room, the, the coloured tags tell me exactly what's going on in the snake room. I can see at a glance. I don't have to. I don't have to look at my app or anything. Mm-hmm. Once you reach a certain number of snakes, it becomes very, very daunting to have to input data into software right at the start. I'd need a full-time secretary to do that for me. I, 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 I can, now, I've, I've whittled down the data that I keep in my notebooks to just the stuff that I will actually refer back to. Most of the records that people keep, they never look at again. Right. You know, we weigh eggs. We, why are you weighing eggs? When are you going to use that? Uh, that's something I've never think- understood. Like, <laughs> or, or the, the clutch weighed whatever. What does it matter what the egg weighed when... I, I, weigh my, I weigh my females after they've laid so that I can see how they are recovering and where they were at last year when they laid eggs. And I refer back to that number. If I find myself recording data that I never look at again, I stop doing it. Sheds. The only sheds that are important are your pre-lay sheds. I don't record where my snakes have a poo. Right. I, never look, I never look at that data ever again. You don't well, record when you wipe their butt and make sure they're pure. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. I'm not into it either. What's interesting is like TSK does over record. So they found like lineage based differences in like fecundity and like egg size, clutch size. They're like more interesting in like a, a macro, like collection wide scale. But like for like the normal person with three snakes, it doesn't matter. Like they, that's how they know sh- or believe sugar and calco are actually distinct because they're there's like. Well, I'm sure if you collect enough data, you can find all sorts of interesting things mm-hmm. that you could do with it. Right. Like, kind and, and even with that, and even with that, the thing is, and I've always said this before, with the ball python things, nothing is written in stone. You can have a female that does a certain routine for three seasons, keep that female a little bit longer, and you'll see that the data actually goes different than what you were at, um, saw the first three seasons. Um, one of the things that I've heard so many times is that a female, once she goes to season, she repeat that cycle every other season. And I've seen females basically continuously that I've used, they'll go off between four or five months when they laid at one time and the follow-up season that I use that female, there's a big difference within four or five months from that last time that they laid, that they laid later or even earlier, not exactly the same time that they laid the season before. I keep a little post-it sticker on my females' tubs telling me when they laid last year so I can see roughly whether they're in sync again or whether they've they've skipped six months or a year. Lindsay, um, yeah, I'm a notebook kind of guy. It works for me, and if it, if it works, don't fix it. I think if, you, if you're going to go computerized, you've got to buy into it wholeheartedly and just do the computer system. Don't don't duplicate because you're right, it's making double the work for you. So pick one that works for you and don't let anybody tell you that your system is any better or any worse than anybody else's. If it works for you, it works. 
Yeah, you just got a like a, a get em girl from Rob, Lindsay. So <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. You do I, you, boo. I, I, no, I don't have a separate notebook per snake. Um, I keep a um, I keep a breeding book where I keep records of my pairings, ovulations, um, when they lay eggs. I have a clutch book where I keep t track of all my clutches. And the notebook that I use most of all is what I call my daily feeding book. And that is a notebook for every single snake. And I just make comments in that notebook. If a snake skips a meal, I don't bother uh, noting um, regular events that happen all the time. But if I'm concerned about one particular snake, it's skipped two or three meals. I'll make a note of that in the in the notebook. And it's it's specific to that one particular snake. So each day I have a date stamp and some days are blank. I don't put any notes whatsoever in there. Feeding days, I'll make a note of which snakes ate, which snakes didn't, but I also have feeding cards on my tubs. Um, so I try to minimize the amount of duplication and the amount of work that's involved because paperwork is quite time consuming. I do everything visually, post-it stickers, uh, colored clips on my tubs, all all that kind of stuff. And it me makes sense to me. Yeah. Shane, what uh, were you saying earlier? I, I'm I'm very much on track with Rob, but I, I do, I use Husbandry Pro and like all my long-term data, like the pairings, when they laid the clutch, that's all stored in there. So I don't have like an actual notebook other than my clutch cards. So then I just refer back to that. If I want to go back two years and see what she was paired to or when she laid, I go there. But then I have all my visual cues right here, just like Rob. When I walk into the room, I want to know who's doing what that day, go in there, do my work, and bam, out. Now, your, your pairing records, and if something unusual pops up in a clutch, if you are computerized, it's very easy to do a search back and see what two or three generations ago what the pairing was. You can right. do that almost instantly on the computer, whereas I have to get my cards out and go back through my card system. I can still do it, and it doesn't take very long because I keep those records. So I'm, it doesn't have any advantage other than once you get the data in, it's very easy to access it. But getting that data in initially, I, I'm just too lazy. I can't be bothered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's fine. All right, gentlemen, I think we did it. Thank you for coming to this little event i'm glad ron made it, especially i thought the hurricane got you but you were safe that's my <laughs> favorite part <laughs> um any like final thoughts or like do we want to do this semi regularly once a year christmas special i don't know <laughs> get a hat rob 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 you still have that hat right I, I, yes, I do. <laughs> uh, well, this is this is the first time I've done this, and I have to say uh, that it was with some trepidation. But I have thoroughly enjoyed getting you did, together with you. You did guys. great. Yeah, um, um, yeah. I'd be up. I'd be up for another. If you're short of content, give me a call. <laughs> no, I just think like people like panels. People like hearing people who are friends, like riffing off each other, sharing stories. Because they just they well, need company you know, while they clean tubs, you know. Let me let me just throw this out there. I mean, like, heck, you could be the new force for for enforcement. There you go. <laughs> no, <laughs> I would be honored. Can I be pestilence? 
That's how I feel. <laughs> no, yeah, I would love that. Thank you. Yeah, I just think, you know, the market is down or whatever. People are grumpy, but we need more, you know, way well, things to be excited. Well, not that's, that's, that's a given. Right. We just need to be like, what do we need to do? Uh, what's positive? What's moving forward? What's you know, a good message in our ears while they're at home cleaning tubs, scraping urates. You know, there's somebody scraping urate right now. They really need to dig in the corner with their little spoon. And so that's what I'm interested in bringing. And you all did a great job. So thank you. Awesome. Love you guys. Yeah. All right, you Chad, too. you've been real fun. Peter, you're the real MVP, I think. <laughs> <laughs> he stayed up all night. So he, so he has to go to bed now. <laughs> all right bye everybody in chat we'll see you next thank time thank you very much guys